0: Welcome to the Mitton Williams Meet the Maker podcasts. My name is Bob Mitten. In this podcast series we are talking to creatives, innovators, and craftsmen and women about what they make, how they make it, and what part creativity, craftsmanship, and collaboration plays in the process. This week I'm talking to Ben Tucker from Plain Industries. They repurpose upcycle reclaimed authentic aircraft parts making them into beautiful furniture and aviation art. Exit doors, wheels and exhaust cones amongst other things are transformed into lamps, tables, clocks and chairs. Originally set up in 2012 by Ben and his brother, growing up on a farm taught them to be resourceful and inventive. Nothing was discarded. Without any formal product design training They've used their imagination, old-fashioned workmanship and modern making to create unique products and can boast brands such as Red Bull, GE and Ryanair as their clients. But what remains at the heart of plane industries is their love of bringing new life to old objects. We recorded this in our design studio, so please excuse the telephone and other sounds you can hear in the background. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Ben. Lovely to meet you. Thanks very much for coming along to this do this podcast for us. I guess the first thing I'm going to ask is, why planes? The true answer to that is, I really don't know, to be quite honest. We, we don't...
1: Um, all my clients are real aviation enthusiasts. And they're pretty shocked to learn that neither myself nor my brother have really... We ne- never had any interest in planes. We didn't love planes our entire life and of this was going to be our like path in the future. We, we were at a point in our life when we wanted to do something... That was totally different to what we did prior to that and to be honest we saw this being done in the states thought it was a really cool idea Mm -hmm. it could be fun we were young and really naive and we just started it and it kind of just
0: then just
1: went from there
0: so you haven't got any professional training you know you didn't necessarily go to university to study to be a product designer or anything can you tell us a little bit more about that and how you got into it because i think what you make is incredible and it's got a lot of sense of design and craftsmanship about.
1: Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I, I did go to university, but I studied business economics. So oh. like the furthest removed from anything creative. It's one of those things that my, my, my brother as well, he, was, um, he wasn't he was doing anything in the, the creative world. He was a model. And it was really just a case of we knew what we didn't want to do in life. And I knew I always wanted to do something with my hands. I didn't have the training. I didn't have the kind of, you know, I hadn't checked the box in regards to going to university, product design, all those things, but at the time, We were in a place in our lives where we didn't really have anything to lose so you know we didn't have family mortgages that kind of thing so it kind of just was like we're probably naively confident in our ability and just went and started making and started really really simply buying you know hand tools from the shop and just learning as you go kind of thing and we've used we've gone with that mantra kind of our entire the last like five six years and we just learned how to make and we've I've employed we've employed people that have um degrees in those kind of fields. And yes, they have like the technical training. they have like all the all the stuff that comes out of the books. Um, but there's no substitute for just making. There is literally no substitute for just learning how machine once you learn how machines work and what they can do, you work backwards from there. And that's just you've got to do that on the job. Yeah, so we just went for it, really. <laughs> it never really stopped us, I guess. And maybe it was a good thing as well because maybe, um, by not being taught that specific route, and this is how you do things, this is how you should do things, we probably approach it from a very different angle, which is for creativity. That's a good thing because if you've got one person that has, you know, the degree in the product designers, they're, they're coming out from one place, and you're coming out from another, and then you kind of make something in the middle.
0: Yeah, no, I I I agree, and I think that aspect of failing was one of the questions we were going to ask. You know, in terms of how important is that aspect of failure and failing mm-hmm. and making mistakes? How important is that in the, what you do and the creating?
1: Yeah. Um, everything. I'm, I'm a massive believer that failing is, is just the pathway to getting wherever you want to go. You have to fail. You're going to fail every day. It's just how, it's how you treat those failures and what you do with them. Learn from them. Some failures can kind of cost you a hell of a lot of money. It's just fine. I've never, you know, the, the guys that work for us, have always said to me, like, I will never be angry. You know, we've made mistakes and written off pieces of parts that are five, six, seven hundred pounds. But I'll never be angry. So long as we just learn from it and and move on because you can't, Oh, if if you're afraid of failure, don't start a business. It's almost like rename it because it's kind of, that's how you get to where, you know, that's how you get to the beginning. You start and you just fail, 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 and then at the end of it, you have a product and it's just a succession of failures that have turned into a finished article
0: (laughs) and some wins as well along the way. And I think that's a really good way of looking at it. I think I found certainly uh, some of the designers I work with, graphic designers, are almost scared of putting down something on paper because they're scared of that failure. But mm. as you say, if you just get going and try something, then yeah. you discover what works and what doesn't. And that leads you on to more things. So I think it's so important. Yeah, definitely. And there's, um, with
1: regards to that point, it's, it's there's a lot of factors coming into play there. What we found with what we were doing is that we didn't have any safety net. There was no backup. There was no kind of um, luxury of having a wage paid to us. Or, you know, we, we we started this, we had very little money in the bank account, and then we had to make money. So when you're in a position where you have to make money to survive, if you want to do this, then you are forced to put it out there. And then it will be, it will not be 100% in your mind. It never is. We've got products that are six or seven years old, and I'm still tweaking them now. But you get to this point where you just have to put it out there and then you just got to hope for the best because otherwise you just go on forever and like you said it will never be ready mm. um, but then if you're in a position where you don't have to put it out there that's when it kind of drags on and that's when you can wait a bit longer and i'll tweak this and i change that and then next you know it's two years later it's like i still haven't, <laughs> still
0: haven't done it it's uh, we find the same thing with what we do we're never quite happy we're constantly tweaking and i think if we didn't have that desire to Keep making it better and better and better mm. would probably stop, wouldn't we? And with, all, with all art, with all creativity, you want to try and make it better and better. I, certainly, looking at the products that you make, it's sort of extraordinary the sort of the sense of design and the detail and the craftsmanship mm. that you put into each piece. Yeah. I get a sense that you're constantly trying to make it improve. Yeah, and I, I think uh, people always are really like kind of dumbfounded when we say that. We
1: haven't we haven't got a background in design and and I don't know. It maybe just we have like a bit of an eye for things and a bit of an imagination and then with regards to actually the the, the quality of the finishes but that's just naturally ingrained in us. Like I can't I can't make something. People might argue, but I can't make rubbish things. In my 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 opinion, rubbish. It's just not in us to do it. I couldn't do it if I tried. So whatever we do, we do this is this is just a, a product of what we want it to be in our minds. And then that's, turns out to be quite high high value, high quality product, hopefully.
0: So your background, you all grew up on a farm, is that right? Yeah. So that sense of being resourceful and being on a farm and mm. you were around machinery, that must've yeah. heavily influenced what you're doing now.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it was uh, subconsciously as well, because I think like, looking back, we, so we grew up on a farm. Um, we were always kind of, you know, when it come the weekend, it was like, mumble at the door and just kick us out. And it's like, go out and just do, it was 300 acres just to do whatever you like. And we ended up, you know, as you do any kids on a farm, you know, building dens and you, you are, you are using, when I look back at it, you are actually using your imagination a lot compared to my, when we moved to Spain, when we were kind of eight, it was less that way. We didn't have as much kind of land to roam. And so you're kind of confined more to the home. And then there's like, xboxes and playstation get involved and that kind of eliminates a lot of that so that was probably in us and there was always heavy machinery around there was always kind of tools to play with and that must have had an impact on what we wanted to do and what we enjoy and what we kind of the way our brains work i guess mm-hmm. at a later age in life because i went for a period you know we i to go to school and university and that all kind of goes out the window a little bit and you kind of like just doing usual kind of kid things and yeah it was um so i guess yeah, it probably had a big impact on on
0: who we are with people today so when you start making a piece how does it work because you're taking these big bits of plane small bits of plane so is the bit of the plane leading the to the final peaks leading to the creativity or do you think actually we should make a table what can we make a table out of what bit of the plane how does it which comes first was it a bit of both
1: that's the really interesting thing about what we do that I like personally, as I don't, I don't call myself designer because I don't think I am. So with a lot of design, you start with a blank canvas. It might just be an idea or a seed and you have to take something from nothing into a finished product, whereas with what we're doing, we kind of got to pick and choose the parts that we worked with. Before we start designing with these pieces, there was a bit of a business decision as well. It was like, right, if we're gonna because the when we do develop these pieces, they cost, they can cost up to like tens of thousands of pounds to make. It's like if we're gonna put commit all this time and all this effort into making something, we need to make sure that we can make lots of them. Because in our world, there's you know, you might look at something that looks really, really cool and say, oh, I could do something with that, but you can only get five. And it's like as much as I'd love to play around with that, that won't keep the lights on and keep everyone in a job. So that there's there's a few elements taken into account, but I, I do like working with an existing part and then building around it, because it kind of gives you something to work with. And that's just the way we've worked from the beginning of this business. And I enjoy it as, as a concept and I enjoy it as a kind of philosophy and, and it's, yeah, it's nice.
0: So your conference table. Yeah. It's very rare you go on to a, uh, say, I want to buy a conference table and how many windows do I want on there? You know, four yeah. or six. But your lovely conference table with that American black walnut or the oak or whatever you do so it's got these lovely rounded corners you know lovely attention to detail so what's driving that are you looking at that plane and where it's come from and thinking we want an aesthetic and a design to go with what was there originally are you trying to say actually here's this piece how can I create something that's different what's leading you to work those corners in that way in the way the sort of the leg comes up and meets the joint for example.
1: Yeah, so that is a, that's a good point. Um the the shape and the aesthetic of the part will always drive that. So with those particular windows, they've got quite an oval shape yeah. to them. And, and I guess then there's a little bit of trial and error. You, we kind of because we go through a process where one of one of the, the, the guys that works for I me, mean, he's really, really good with CAD. So we'll the process will be we'll have a look at something and then we'll just like spitball a few ideas and then we'll start drawing some little quick sketches and then we'll start cadding it up. And when you put it into CAD, you kind of get a representation of what it's gonna look like, and then you can tweak it and change it. And you just have to keep doing that until aesthetically it's like, okay, that's the one. And it's just that that kind of process. But all of the pieces we kind of try to, like you said, we, we build around the part. So the cowling chair is a good example of that. When you look at them at first glance, you think, well, those things were obviously designed to be a chair. They obviously weren't, <laughs> but we would just have to kind of, yeah, we build around the lines and the curves and the shapes, and hopefully you get to a point where you've got something that is totally unique in its own and it looks like it could be a product that isn't just ripped off a plane and stuck in a room.
0: So, so, where do you get the bits of plane from? I mean, just on the sheer practical thing, you know, it's how how does how does that bit work?
1: Um, so we've got uh, there's two main places. Like one one of my business partners uh, runs a facility in Campbell that break uh, a large number of the world's aircraft, really. Um, and here in the UK, and then the second place we go to is Barry in Wales. There's another large breaking facility there, and they they're doing. Well, at the moment it's has gone a bit nuts but they're, they're probably doing like 10 a month maybe 10 aircraft a month um all commercial airliners really? so we just go there that's where we go shopping that's our supplier. so it's quite a bit fun to go out there actually because they've got just a big yard and there's probably like 10 15 guys up there just with massive chains all chopping stuff up so we always have a really good laugh when we spend half a the day there and the same goes for asi as well up at, up at campbell but yeah there's those there's no two places and there, there's a few further up north but there's no need for us really to go there. And then finally, if we want really specific things, we've kind of developed a little bit of a name for ourselves in the, the tiny aviation niche world. So we kind of go, we know there's lots of part companies, secondary companies in the aviation industry that make parts and, and we can kind of like go to them. And we've got a little network of, of people that we can kind of pick the phone up to to try and find whatever we want that's hopefully fingers
0: crossed so cowling chair well is that what you what you call it
1: yeah there's there's two of those um and they they represent a lot to us actually because when we started uh, as i said before we didn't really have much to fall back on and when you're talking about failing there was a lot of failures at the beginning but really weirdly like every time we failed really hard there would just be this like moment where you got really lucky and then it just saves your bacon and with the chairs, because those products really define our business. There's no one else that makes those specific products. And we were asked to do a big exhibition in London during design week in 2016, I think it was. At the time, the first chair, the 737, was just a concept. It was a Kaz up concept. I, I had a couple in the workshop and I was like, what are we gonna do with them? And then I just one day went, really as simple as, that would make a really cool chair. It up, had this render. My brother was traipsing around London to every art gallery. We were trying to figure out where we can sell our stuff. This is like, where, where do you sell these high end? And just got rejection after rejection after rejection. And then finally got a phone call from one of the gallery owners that was like, okay, I've seen your work. Can you come now tomorrow? Showed him this concept of a chair and he was like, right, you can be here in, I'll give you the whole gallery for the whole design week and month. So there for a month in just off at the Ritz hotel in London. So we went away and we're like, well, okay. What, what now? We've got to build it. it. We did the math and it was going to cost like 25 to 30,000 pounds to build it, just in the cost of making all the molds and everything that went with it. And we took, we got a loan to build that chair. We thought, well, we're going to be in London. We're going to, this, this would be a big, you know, a big springboard. Anyway, long story short, we made it, delivered it, exhibited. And in the course of a month, being where we were, we made a thousand pounds. So we literally came away. We just sat, we had we were employing two guys at the time. We were sat there thinking, right, okay, we're a bit screwed because we've got no money left. Um, and we sold nothing from that show. And then just like a bolt out, it happened like a week later, a blog in America picked up picked up the chair. I think my brother put it on howls.com, picked it up, and the blog was Gizmodo, which is um a, a large kind of like um tech blog, and it just it went viral. So it, kind of my phone. This is a yeah, weird. My phone just started exploding. I mean, like the I, we we were averaging maybe a couple of thousand hits on the website a month. I think we got like two hundred and fifty thousand in the first two weeks, and it was like our social media was just blowing up. And I said, to him, "Bro, I don't know what's happening, but something's happening." And and from that kind of one blog post, it got picked up, picked up, picked up, picked up until eventually we got like Fox News on the phone, and it was trending on Twitter. And it kind of, from that one blog post came, I think it was about 50,000 pounds of orders. So we just went from being okay, what we're going to do now, because we're a bit screwed to, well, we've got work for the next kind of few months. And it's just weird how those things have happened quite a few times over the years. And that was like a really kind of feel good story. If that hadn't, if that guy hadn't picked that up and if it hadn't gone viral, we probably wouldn't have had a business like two, three months later.
0: That's incredible. There's a
1: weird one. but Yeah. So that's that's the chest. That's how much they, they need to us. And now they're kind of our biggest, some of our biggest sellers. And, and they're the ones that, yeah, you can't go elsewhere to get those,
0: basically. Perhaps you should also just explain for those who don't know yeah. what, what the, the cowling is. Listeners should go and have a look on the website and see it, but just give a sense of the size of it because it is enormous yeah. and it looks extraordinary when you on the photographs yeah. on the website.
1: The best way to describe it is: the next time you're going to ride an flight, as you're walking up the stairs, have a look at the engine, and it's that metal, oval metal kind of orifice that surrounds the engine. Imagine that as a chair. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's ridiculously big. It, I think the whole thing occupies about two meters cubed. Really? Yeah, it's 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 massive to the point where it's actually quite limiting as to where it can go. You've got to have a really big room to put it in. But it is it's one of those. It, it was just it's just so outlandish. But at the same time, they're, they're so amazing, and there was such a sense of achievement and pride when we finished that thing. But yeah, it's really really hard to describe unless you see it. That is the only that's the only time anyone really see one of those cowlings is when you get on a Ryanair flight. That's the planes that use that exact cowling. And yeah, it's it's probably seven foot tall, so you could you could comfortably fit two grown adults in it and probably four kids. <laughs> Something of its nice.
0: Yeah. And this might sound like an odd question, but and I can't tell because I've never sat in one, but yeah. does it work really well as a chair? Because yeah. it looks stunning. It looks like a piece of art, what you're creating. Yeah. And the photographs I see, I just, you know, it's a bit mind blowing that you've got this bit of an engine sitting there and it looks beautiful in the way you've crafted yeah. it. Does it. Does it work as a chair? That, that's, again, that's a really interesting point. Uh, yes. So when
1: we go about designing anything, the first thing, like the wall that we have, is if we're going to make a chair. It has to be a really good chair because like I said, they are effectively what people class as works of art, they're luxury items. Have at home. But at the end of the day, like buying a chair, I could, we couldn't make something like that, deliver it and the person pay, you know, 10, 15,000 pounds for a chair. And it's kind of, it doesn't work as a chair. It would be the craziest thing. So when we, when we go through the design process, everything, cause we don't, we don't operate in that super creative realm of exclusive abstract art mm. we're kind of in between functionality and art so yeah when we design a chair it has it has to be it has to be everything we want it to be when we envisage what it's going to look like but it has to be a really good chair and it has to be a good table and it has to be it has to serve the purpose that it needs to serve mm. because otherwise I don't think we would tell them and I know we wouldn't yeah and people are always actually quite surprised when they're really comfortable chairs. Mm. Oh, this is a lot more comfortable. I thought of it. It's like, yeah, because we kind of made sure we go through all the ergonomics and, and make a proper chair, as you would, you know, if you were making an office chair, mm-hmm. the same process you go through.
0: I asked the question because very recently I was looking at uh, Philip Stark's lemon squeezer. Mm-hmm. Um, incredible, iconic design. We bought one. This is amazing. We ended up, after not too long, going back to our little plastic lemon squeezer because it was easier to use as a lemon squeezer. And that's why I was asking the question, because I think that function and form thing here, he created something that was incredible, piece of design, very iconic, looked Mm -hmm. amazing, but the function bit behind it didn't work as well for us when we were trying to squeeze lemons on a, on a daily basis. And when you look at this, I think it's an iconic piece of design. It looks extraordinary, but that's, that's really interesting to hear about the fact that the function is built yeah. in from the start. That's something
1: that's really kind of, I, I'm, I'm an advocate of that, because I think when you've got all the substance without the uh, the rest of it, it's just it's, it's a waste of time. It's probably why Apple are the most valuable company in the world, because they've, got, they've nailed both. If you've got a really nice looking phone, but every time you pick it up, you can't use it, you're not really going to go very far with that. No,
0: not at all. So one of the other questions I've got here is, uh, they often say boredom leads to creativity or just get stepping away. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking a little bit earlier about the number of hours you put in, you know, 14-hour days, and starting a new business, everyone puts an enormous <laughs> amount of hours. I find I love, I love my job, so I tend to spend a long time doing it, but... Yeah, the boredom aspect. When you step away, how important is that? Do ideas come to you when you step away from what you're doing? See, I I wouldn't associate boredom with creativity personally.
1: That's just my personal experience of it. For us, we when we were forced to be our most creative, it was it was money that drove our creativity, and not because we wanted to make money. Because I'm not really driven by money. I, I don't wake up and want to get why how much money it. It was more a case of you've chosen a path. Now you've got to make a living from it and you've got to approved because every time you tell someone at a party or a function, I'm doing this, they just look at you to say, yeah, go on then, mate, how long is that going to last? So there's that element where I'm, I'm doing this and now I've got to make a success of it because I'm, I'm deep into it. And that means you're kind of, at the end of the day is you have to be creative. So you're in that kind of space where it's like you, your brain is constantly thinking, you know, the new products will lead to new inquiries and new sales. So you kind of, that's when I got my most creative. I actually think when I'm bored, I'm probably my least creative because okay. I just tend to waste my time doing trivial things and my brain switched off. So for example, um, I, I had my girlfriend during the last five, six years. She lived um, in Leicester, which is a four hour drive. And I commuted for five years. And actually the amount of products I came up with during that time. So, but it was because of that was where my mindset was because I needed to, and you're taking away from everything then when you're driving. So you're taking away from all distractions. You can't use your phone. You can't go on Netflix. You can't do those things. So it's kind of, whereas when you're bored at home, there's so many things to distract yourself with. So uh, for me, that's when we became our most creative because then once we develop like our core product range and all this like, coming in now again, getting creative is a bit of a luxury because we're kind of spending all of our time my day running a business, but also building our existing product lines that I wish I look back at some of the times when we've kind of had little orders and you're like, right, okay, we're all at the table, we're all with brains, what can we do now to make money to carry the business on so we can all enjoy carrying on doing what we're doing? And that's when we became our most creative. And that's when we did our project where we did a Kickstarter project where we turned old airline seats into bags. That was quite successful. We 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 created a line of products that were going to be cast from all the offcuts and the scrap. And that was when we were in a we really creative place when orders were probably at their lowest. Interesting. So it's kind of like a yeah. And now I was actually thinking about this the other day. I was thinking I would like a bit of time to be able to because we haven't actually developed new products for probably close to two years. We've got some, they're there, they're being done, but I don't have the luxury at the moment of going into the workshop and saying to the boys, right, well, okay, today we're just gonna sit down and think about what the next thing's gonna be, because we've just got so much to do. Time is a luxury mm. and creativity is a byproduct of that luxury, I think.
0: But that the fact that you were away from the office on those drives, mm. thinking about other things, you couldn't you couldn't be making anything, you not you couldn't do anything on the business as such in terms of you couldn't talk to anybody about the the next step of the business or the strategic direction or whatever, the fact that you were able just to sit there and your mind was just ticking over. I just find it such an important part of the the creative process. The number of times the designers in here will say, oh, yeah, I came up with the idea when I was out walking in my lunch break. And I often say to them, go out for more walks, you know, and get away from the studio. If that's where you're creative, go to that space or spend that time doing that.
1: Exactly. And I think it's important that, I think everything comes into play then so it's probably because they enjoy what they do they love what they're doing they're enthusiastic about what they're doing that they're thinking about that when they've got their downtime. i think if i didn't care about what i did if i didn't if I wasn't fussed about taking it further and i would probably think about other things but that was what was on my mind in some respects it's kind of the, the, like you said before like at the beginning of the business it came at the expense of a lot of other things whereas now it's more established I've got to a point where I yeah, I think about other things. So I've thinking about having a family for the first time in mm. you know in my life, really, those other things that kind of I've not neglected but just become secondary. Mm. But yeah, I think that's a that's, that's, like you said, that's a byproduct of, of them just enjoying what they do.
0: Mm.
1: And that's probably why it will come into your mind when you've got those periods where you know, I think smartphones are the worst thing for that. They're kind of when you look and we've come, we've got this place now where it's like, I was, I was in a coffee shop this morning and it's like, people are almost afraid of, of just sitting there and looking like they're alone. It's like, and I, I'm, I do it as well. You, you sit there, you're by yourself and the first thing you'll do is pick up my phone. It looks like I'm doing something important and busy.
0: And it's, yeah, I think they're a bit of a killer. For that. Yeah, I think you're right. So in terms of the craftsmanship side of things, I wanted to talk a little bit more about that. So details. Yeah. I did an article recently on, on details. I think details matter. They're very important. So I get a sense of that when I look at your furniture and the craftsmanship and the attention to detail. I also like the fact that I go onto a website and the little favicon there is a little plane. There's all those mm. little tiny details that are talking to me. And I sometimes hear people say they're not important, but I think they are really important. And mm. I think, and particularly with what you're making, because it's not cheap furniture, is it? No. It's so was that attention to detail? Was that there from the very, very start?
1: I think that's. I think that's just ingrained in our in us in many respects. So it's kind of like those details. We don't do them because we think we need to do them. We just when we set out to make something, I just want it to be the best that I can possibly do. So it's like I, I have an idea for it, and I want it to be of like the best standard possible. It's basically a product. It's like a thousand little details and when you look at the li- tiniest little details oh that's interesting it's because that was just like one part of a bigger process to get to where you need to get to and I think the second you stop worrying about those little details you do have to do it sometimes because you can become too bogged down with things that aren't necessarily important and then that takes time and that costs money but I think the second you start thinking oh I'll skip that corner I won't do that no one's going to see that so I'm bothered with it then you know when you look at it and it's finished entirety, there might be 20, 30 little details there that you thought I could skip and then you've got a substandard product. So I think the details are really important for that sense. Mm. Not necessarily the fact that like it has to be there, but it's more just, it shows that the person making it is cares about what they're doing and they want to make the best thing possible. You can get, like I so said, you can get really way down it. There. there are sometimes when you go into so fine details like, well, I have to stop here because I've gone forever and actually, don't need to
0: yeah and the commercial side of things will come into play but I've always found with what we do you know if you're creating something that's really smart and it's beautiful and it's well made that just takes time you need you need to give it time so
1: yeah yeah and I'm I'm really lucky because our clients um are really good for that because we we often we often go over our lead times um and I just my job then is to remind them that you know what we're doing does take time because we, we care about what we do. And just to remind them that, you know, it's gonna be sat in your home for 20, 30 years. These aren't the things they're gonna throw away. And they, they appreciate that, they know that. Yeah, and, and the other thing is they, these things go all over the world. So the last thing I want is it to ship. So we've got a piece going to Kenya. I'd love to go to Kenya, but I can't ship something to Kenya. And they go, the stitch is quite here. <laughs> because <laughs> that's gonna be a really expensive piece of whole streets so <laughs> repair. So there is a the commercial element to it as well. Yeah.
0: So you talk about old-fashioned workmanship and modern making on your site, and you also mentioned this idea of imagination. Just wondering if you could tell us a bit more about that and the effect it has on your work.
1: I've noticed there's a little bit of a kind of around the discourse of craftsmanship. There seems to be a little bit of an obsession with handmade and, you know, kind of this idea that if for something to be good, it has to be made by... Someone that's been doing this for forty years in a little workshop, all by hand, and taking hundreds hundreds of hours, and that is the case with us because we're working with our hands every day. But also, like I really like modern production methods, and, and you know, I'm intrigued by them and what they can, what you can get out of them because they're effectively a paintbrush that you can use. They're just a really interesting paintbrush. So we kind of like mixing the two. We're, we're using a lot of kind of modern production machinery, you know, CNC routers, all these kind of things, and so there's a kind of, yeah, we like to meet in the middle there. We don't, we don't really like to pretend that we're kind of, although we are staying away for hours and hours and hours, it is kind of, we don't want to pretend that it's like, there are other factors in here. And also once you understand how these machines work, a lot of these machines are used for heavy industry. So they are used to make really boring things like cogs or, but once you understand how they work, you can then go, okay, I know what the parameters are now. That's another tool in your little armory. And you, the, the, the detail you can get from them is is, is really, really astounding. Mm-hmm. So I'm fascinated with that part of manufacturing as well, yeah. not just the, in inverted commas craftsmanship. Because when you put the two together, that's when some cool things happen.
0: And just going back to your point about sort of every, everyone, I think, can be creative. And I think, in the way, same way, everyone can make. And people worry about, well, I'm not going to make something very well or it's not going to be very good. And I think that will just stop you being creative, just sort of. Sometimes getting your hands dirty is great, but yes, yeah. understanding how you can make and the tools you've got available to make stuff Definitely. makes all the difference sometimes.
1: Definitely. And also I know the, the interesting thing about my path as well, which I really like and the, the more I kind of think about it over time is that because I didn't go to university, you'd learn during like a product development design course, you'll learn kind of about these machines and it will just be ace topic in a subject of a certain semester. As we wanted to build these products, they'd become more extravagant, they, they use way more different processes we've had to like learn and I've, I've had to outsource the work but then I work quite closely with people to the outsourcing and I go and see the machinery and I just learn how it works over time so then when we design the next thing we know what machines we can use and that process has been a bit of a luxury in the sense that it's I've had five six years to do it um, I never knew half these things existed because I didn't have that education now I know they exist. But my mind's automatically going these Really cool. Imagine what I could do. There are so many things I could do with that machine.
0: So, what about materials? How do the materials you use shape your work? And how do you, you know, choose which parts to use and what to use?
1: Two elements. There was the kind of there's the um, aesthetics of the of the shape. I like those cowlings, for example. I just think they're such an amazing shape. Like they they almost that they're so organic in in their appearance. And I think just something that draws our attention to it kind of catches our eye. Um the wheels really, like I, I know they're quite they're quite brash, but as I'm not that's not my personal taste. I can't not but appreciate when they're done how cool they look. So really I really think yeah it just has to be like the shape and form has to draw our eye to it. But then also there is that commercial decision. So it's like we've had parts in the past I was like, right, I've had one, but I can't get another one. I'll just go on something where I can get a hundred of and hopefully it will be desirable not to sell 100 and yeah that's kind of that plays a big factor as well.
0: so uh collaboration i you to touch on that i guess first obviously you started with your brother and you've got did you say about five people in as it? five of you now yeah, yeah. yeah so how important is collaboration to you in the process of the creativity and the making
1: yeah i've been thinking about this question actually and I, um, one of the things that's kind of struck me about this as well is obviously when we're working within our team it's really important you know, without without collaborating every day, everyone has their strength and weaknesses, obviously. And without that collaborative force, we'd never make the products we make. It's just impossible. So there's, there's that element of it. But the other thing that kind of, I really got me thinking was, there's no way we would have been able to create things we create or make this business without all the businesses that we've, and I use the word collaborated with over the years to be able to make these things it's not collaboration in the tourist form in the sense that we're collaborating for a common goal. We are, but we're effectively paying them for a service, but really it's collaboration because we're learning from them. They're doing things that, you know, we would take us years and years and years to train ourselves to do, whether it's kind of woodworking or heavy industrial machinery. So kind of like, actually, that's probably the most important collaborations that we've had over the past is working really closely with our suppliers and we found, you know, really, really amazing businesses doing that. And we've learned stuff from them that has allowed us to move the business forward. And that's like a that's the collaborative element that I kind of got me thinking. I was like, actually when you think about it, yeah, we, we like to think we're like these really smart people in a room creating these amazing ideas and bring them to life. But when you really think about it, there's no way any of them will overcome reality without mm-hmm. all of our suppliers. Mm-hmm. And and we are collaborating with them. And then they're, because, they're, they're, so we, we found, obviously you've had bad ones, but we found some really good ones. And it's almost been like a university degree working with them mm-hmm. because most of them are university educated. And then they'll go, right, what you don't need to know is all this. I'm going to tell you what you really need to know to go from A to B a lot quicker than if you had to detour a hundred times. Mm-hmm. So though, yeah, that's, that's definitely the most important thing. Because if you think about it, you can't really do anything without everyone collaborating really it's impossible and also we've kind of through that process we have learned enough to and gets to a point sometimes you go right i can do this myself now and then we brought it in-house um and then we've kind of started to in-house and it's allowed us to kind of you know reduce costs which allow us to pay everyone a bit more and mm-hmm. means that the business becomes more successful hopefully
0: so i sometimes find that I'll be working away in my studio doing something, the guys have be in the studio doing something. I'll then walk past and see something up on the wall and, and something up on their screen. And that sparks the idea in, and we start doing something different because of something I've seen. And I miss that, not being in the studio at the moment. And that part of the creative process and the making process mm-hmm. of the collaboration, I think is really important. And I just wonder with what you're doing in terms of creating these amazing pieces, is that a similar thing? Are you seeing people doing things in a certain way and making them in a certain way that sort of thinking, oh, I didn't really think about doing it that way?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and we've always kind of we've always set time aside as well to kind of go mm-hmm. through the creative process because mm-hmm. when you're making things, a lot of time, it seems really glamorous, and it you know, when people look at it from outside perspective, it's like, oh, you know, these little artists that are working away in a shoe. Well, yes, but also the reality of it is, is a lot of like just hard laborious, repetitive tasks. Mm. So we kind of have to put time aside for the creative process. Mm. And then that's what really interesting happened because you've, you might have five or six differing opinions, um, not only on what we want to create, but also what, what we develop today will effectively set the path for the next three, four years of the business. So you've got myself and my brother who are interested in making sure that it grows the business. Then you've got the other guys who are like, no, we just want to make something that's cool and fun yeah, okay, that's fine, but it's got to be able to, you know, pay wages. You know, there's no point making it really cool that we can't remake or cost way too much money to do. And so there has to be, yeah, we, we get input from all levels. And we've done things in the past that have been really creative, but they haven't worked financially and we've had to knock them on the head. So we, we, we did this project where we made um, luxury luggage from old aircraft seats. And it was quite good for us in the sense that it, it got quite a bit of press online it was a bit quite a divisive... Products in the sense that some people were like, why would I want to have that as a bag? And other people were like, I absolutely love this. That was quite interesting. But at the end of the day, we, we sold, I think it was like £50,000 worth of these bags. And then it just got to where we just run the numbers and we're like, we're more or less losing money. So we had to kill it. Mm-hmm. And I still get emails now, like three, four years later, where people going, Oh, you can make your bags, can you make your bags? Like, I can't. Like, unless I bring a bag maker in house. And because of that attention to detail, we're using like all the best leathers, all the best fittings, from fittings from the States and leather from Italy and which kind of sounds nuts when you're putting it to an old Aircrossy. But the end result was it was really cool. But it just kind of, it was so time consuming and it didn't make enough money. And they're like, well, we've got to make a decision. We're making more money here. This is where we're going to be able to pay the wages. So you had to kill it. And, and then, which is a bit sad because then you just feel like, oh, just wasted all that time but you haven't actually wasted that time it's not
0: wasted time not at all no not at all so in terms of you you've know, you got from those 5 of you now so yeah. obviously when you started you and your brother are sitting there coming up with ideas and making stuff and it's all right long hours making stuff
1: yeah
0: get more people in and you're managing more mm. you're less hands on and you're managing more H- how are you finding that is that in terms of growing the business are you enjoying that bit or is it a bit oh god I want to be making with my um, hands, you know,
1: a bit of both, a bit yeah. of both. It's um, yeah, it is. We're really lucky, actually, because the guys that work for us, they're you know, they they're really good. Two of them actually were graduates from Basketball University. They work really hard. Well, I'm really lucky. I'm really lucky to have them. And um, but yeah, there is that element of management. You do have to kind of you've got to manage all elements of the business as well. Like the bigger the business becomes, the more all these things you're dealing with more customers, and then there's just all that stuff on the periphery. That, and then you start neglecting things. And um, like at the moment we, we should really, we've been neglecting our marketing and our social media and uh, because we've just been too busy to do it. So now I'm getting someone to do that. And you just end up getting bogged down in like the day-to-day running of a business, which is the same for every business, where it's like your accounts and and also strategy. And then, uh, but also at the same time, I have to get in a workshop and get hands-on because I, have to, I don't have enough bodies in there. So it's kind of just a balancing act. Yeah, so now looking back at the time, it was like, oh, this is, this is really, really tough. And now I look back and go, oh, well, that was quite nice, actually. And have you ever
0: worked with a mentor? And, and, yeah. and it, was that useful, helpful for you?
1: Actually, do you know the one thing I found about a mentor? It might just be my experience of having a mentor. The one thing that I took from it was when, you, when you're starting a business, it's really, really tough. I mean, you'll notice it's really difficult. Mm. And there are days you just think, what am I doing? And the one thing I found about having a mentor was we'd meet up, you know, maybe every month for, for a coffee and it would just be someone looking at the brighter side of things. Mm. And they'd be going, well, actually, no, you've achieved this, you've achieved this, and you've achieved this. And you think, I have like, and we would come away from those meetings feeling a little bit re-energized. It was just, it was just basically a good pat on the back and, and that's all we needed. And they think, huh. Oh actually yeah it's not all bad and then you have enough and by the time you go to the next one you need that power back again. and i think i think that's that's really valuable you do need a mentor that probably this chap wasn't he hadn't operated in our industry he hadn't really sold products tangible products so the skills some skills are transferable some weren't but yeah that was the one thing it was just like the kind of you're actually doing okay
0: and that's important, isn't it? Yeah, that's really important. It's important for creativity. It's important when you're making. It's important for a business. I read this mm-hmm. thing the other day that's saying we spent a lot of time making to-do lists and we should make more what we've done lists. Yeah. Because when you write your what you've done and what you've mm-hmm. achieved, it gives that sense of I'm doing okay, I'm doing all right. You know, and you, yeah. It gives you a sort of a sense of I can keep moving forward.
1: Yeah, because we live in this like relentless society. Mm-hmm. It's like there, you are not allowed to stop, and it's just it's just the nature of capitalism, mm-hmm. I guess. It's just like a, it's a constant beast, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's just driving forward the whole time. But you do need you're totally right. You do need that kind of every now and again just to stop, reflect, and I think it's really important. that It's somebody that you don't necessarily see every day, mm-hmm. and it's for for us with him, it was like it was a bit of fresh air. It was like he'd come along and he just. Go, right, what have you done? What have you done? This and then you go, you come away feeling quite reinvigorated. And that was just and 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 subsequently, he for the last few years he hasn't he hasn't been involved, but it, I think he was there for a reason, and that reason was at that point in time we need that. I don't really need that anymore. I think I'm confident enough to be able to, but then again, you know, sometimes you do. I think it's important as well for anyone starting a business at a young age who doesn't have any experience at all in running a business, like or really operating in the world of business, because mm-hmm. it's kind of like you need to be reminded that you've got to do X, Y, Z. Mm. Yeah.
0: yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And lastly, really, we wanted to talk a bit about sustainability because that, obviously, repurposing plays a huge part in what, uh, in what you do and that idea of uh, your products having tales from the past and the future adventures that you describe. So I just wondered whether you could tell us a bit more about that whole sustainability and recycling Mm. Aspects. It's obviously the whole people, planet, profit thing is coming up the agenda. Yeah, it's interesting. So at the heart
1: of our business, uh, people look at it and they go, oh, you know, these guys are uh, originally, it was like, when we started the concept of upcycling, We, were, I think we hit it actually at the right time. Without knowing it, we went into it at the right mm. time. That whole term of upcycling was, was just taking it off. I personally hate the word word because I associate it mentally with relatively low value uh, products and ours aren't that. So then we, we kind of, you know, we looked at the sustainable element of our business and yeah, we are reusing things that otherwise would just get crunched up and remelted and those kind of things. But I reflect on it. I don't think it's like, I wouldn't really call ourselves a business. That's just where that is the the core because so much of our product range has so many things that are bought. And so the chairs, for example, it's the only thing that's reused is the cowling itself and then everything else is a raw materials. I think sustainable as well. People focus on the materials that you use, but also I think it's like the longevity of the pieces mm-hmm. that doesn't really get taken into account a lot. So Ikea, they like to think they're sustainable and they a big push towards like, this is, but actually it's not very sustainable because when you buy a coffee table, if you're going to move it in a week's time, it's going to fall apart. You've got to go buy another one. The whole model built around buying, going frequent trips. Whereas like our drinks cabinet, that's like an eight foot, 300 kilo hunk of metal, that's not going anywhere anytime soon. That's not going to get thrown away. So it's pretty sustainable in the sense that we built it once, but it's probably going to last about 50 years. I mean, it always makes me laugh because I just, <laughs> my dad loves the antiques roadshow and I, so our drinks cabinets, they are made from old bombs and they're eight foot tall and they are absolute monstrosities, they're huge. I always just submitted one day, maybe in like 50, 60 years time, someone's taking one of those on the Antiques Roadshow, Road show, not knowing where it came from, because we've never really signed any of them. There's not really kind of there's no made by on them. And I kind of makes me chuckle, but I can imagine that being the kind of thing that will go on, that kind of thing that is going to be around in 50, 60 years time, because who would take that to the, the, mm-hmm. the, the scrap heap? It's not, It's not gonna happen. So that, I think that part of our business means that it is is pretty sustainable. It's a weird one, sustainability. It's one of those um, terms that kind of every business that I look at now is like, we're sustainable, like, are you really? Because actually, the way we behave as humans isn't really sustainable. We're in lots of elements of our lives. And I don't really want to pretend that we're kind of, you know, trying to save the planet with what we do, because quite frankly, we're probably not. If we wanted to try and do that, we'd stop making stuff completely, because that's the answer to it, really.
0: It is a challenge, but I think the point you make about making things that last and your products, you know, they're beautifully made, um, attention to detail, they're very creative. They're really Mm. amazing pieces, but yes, making something that's going to last is is so important. um, Yeah, definitely. I think that is the best way
1: to be sustainable.
0: So uh, lastly about what plans have you got for the future? Can, any exciting projects you can tell us about?
1: Yeah so um, with regards to plane industries uh, we're always thinking up new ideas, new products. Uh, we've got a few coming out that hopefully we'll be able to get out in the next kind of couple of months or well, not couple of the next year um, at this rate and on a, on a kind of larger scale you know although plane industries will, will, will carry on for years to come I know that you know the last eight years running this business have been quite pivotal for my for me as a person I will want different challenges that's just the way I am that's where I'm inclined and I'm interested in in my experience of making and and being creative because I kind of come from like we were discussing earlier I, I don't have a traditional trained background but I don't think that should stop anyone from thinking they can be creative because mm. creativity is not i think there's a, a misconception people think like you either are or you aren't and you'll have these like bright sparks and these amazing ideas and it's just not like that it's like creative creativity is a process and i'm fascinated with doing something that says to people if an idiot like me can make something that people consider to be that good anyone can do it and i would really like to explore that as a concept. You know and kind of show that you don't have to have any training. You don't you don't even have to work in the creative industry or what is deemed to be a creative industry, but you can be creative and you can make things. And and what we're saying before was you know there's like this element of secrecy around manufacturing and making where people kind of keep their secrets closely guarded. And and I I just like to see something that flips out his head a little bit is, is actually you know you can walk into somewhere and buy something and we'll we'll show you how it's made, where it's made. And then we'll show you how to make it. And I'm not saying that you're going to be able to make things within a week or two weeks. But if you're if you're intrigued with that process, you know we can teach you. And and that that sphere, I don't quite know how it work yet. But that sphere is somewhere where I want to be, because that's just my personal experience of it. And I, I love the fact that when I tell people I don't have a traditional training, I'm back, and they're like, oh really? It's like, yeah, but it's not that hard. Just, <laughs> I was just lucky that I was just young and naive and a bit stupid and didn't have any worries in the world. And it led me down this little path that's just really been, I found fascinating. And also coupled with the demise of the high street, I look at that and I'm fascinated by that as a concept because I think there's a chance now to reimagine what that could be. And I think bar Coronavirus, it could be, I think it'd be much more of a social element to it. Yeah. I'd love to be able to go into a shop and buy something, but then go through that process as well If someone saying to me, Oh, well, upstairs we've got a school mm-hmm. and we will teach you and we will show you where this is made. This is made two miles down the road mm-hmm. on an industrial estate by some machinery that otherwise would have been used to make gears or cogs for heavy industry. And we're leveraging them to create something for your home. Mm-hmm. And I find that fascinating. And the, the you could mix technology with that and you know, you could have that live feed to the workshop and That whole process I think I find is really interesting and it's definitely something I want to explore over the coming years when we can ever get back in a situation where we can be social again. Mm -hmm. Um, That connection of where things are made and how they're made, I think it's a really, yeah, interesting sphere Mm -hmm. to be operating in.
0: Great, well look, thank you so much for talking to me and um, and Hannah and it's been uh, fascinating listening to your stories and I just wish you the best of luck for the future. And for your next project, thank you.
1: you. Yeah, thank you. It's been a
0: pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and it inspires you to create or make something of your own. Be sure to click on the subscribe button so you don't miss a conversation. If you would like to know more about our Makers project, check out our website, madeinbath.co.uk. Or if you would like to know more about our design work, Go to Mitton Williams, that's M-Y-T-T-O-N-Williams.co.uk. See you next time.